Hey, how's it going? Welcome to the Football Diary podcast. It's Mike here, joined by Miles and Dave, the three of us, here to talk about the week's goings-on. No Premier League action, but a bit of off-field action with Antonio Conte's departure from Tottenham. No surprises there. We'll be talking about where Tottenham go next, first of all. Um, Actually, no, we'll talk about England first because it is international break. And one man in particular I think we should start with, I'm going to zoom in on you, Miles, first. Harry Kane. He's broken the England goal-scoring record that was previously held by Wayne Rooney. And the guy's only, what, 29? He's such an impressive player, isn't he? And I can't think of anyone more deserving of this kind of accolade than the model professional Harry Kane. Great news for him, isn't it? Yeah, it's going to be a really funny week for him, isn't it? If anyone watches Community, there's that that meme that goes around of Donald Glover's character who goes down to get some pizza and he comes back up and the whole apartment's on fire and he kind of just stands there like, well, what happened? That's kind of Harry Kane this week. He's going to come back with his record goal-scoring golden boot at Spurs and not know what to fight in. But no, it's a, a brilliant achievement for him. It's the second one of the season, obviously, because he's broken the Spurs record this season too. And there's such a weird narrative around Harry Kane of the career he's had that he's he's not got the trophies and he's not someone for a big game or anything I, I just think it's bizarre he's an absolutely world-class striker the best striker I've seen in the England side ever I include Rooney really Mack if I'm totally honest I think he's he's just far more lethal in in so many ways I really enjoy watching Kane lead England and actually I think it's really underrated what he's brought to the national side because Although we look at it now like we've got this wonderful generation of players, it wasn't like that when Kane first got there. And he's definitely lifted the international team. Think about where England were when Southgate first came in. Kane has really helped develop them into the side they are now. Brought the best out of some of the wider players. He's won a World Cup golden boot in that time as well. It's a phenomenal achievement he's had. And... I think he'll just keep stretching that record as well. As we're going to have Kane in the England squad for a little bit longer, aren't we? Let's be honest. We've probably got another two tournaments out of him as a minimum. So I look Absolutely. forward to Kane extending that record. He's he's a fantastic number nine. Yeah, he scored goals number 54 and 55, I think, over this international break against uh, Italy, which was a crucial game, yeah. and against Ukraine as well. So all of his goals have been important, it feels like. And there's been some criticism that he scores a lot of penalties. Again, I think only 18 of them were penalties. So that's an inflated mm. number for a start. Only six in friendlies. I find that incredible. Because in terms of stat padding, I think Rooney had more friendly goals than, than Kane did. And there's been some yeah. comparison between the two. Completely different players, obviously. But 12 goals in major tournaments and a golden boot, like you said. Mm. The guy's just so formidable and the man for the big occasion. And I think, Dave, for me, just seeing him bounce back from the disappointment of the World Cup is just testament to the the kind of professional and, and driven player that he is, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, in both these last couple of games, we've seen the best parts of Harry Kane as a player. And I think this goal against um, in his last game just summed him up as a player. How you know, how formidable he is in the link-up and the build-up play to obviously actually receiving it in the box. It's actually crazy, actually, to if you look early on in that, mo- that move, how he kind of distributes it out to the wing, seeing how deep he is and how he actually managed to get himself in the box and time his run yeah. perfectly. Um, I, I just thought it was a brilliant goal to watch. And, you know, I, I perfectly, I really agree with you. I think we've got plenty of... Plenty of time left with Harry Kane in this side and just watching this England side evolve around him is an exciting prospect. Different play to Rooney though altogether, isn't he, Miles? And I think, I don't remember seeing a goal scorer as threatening as him in in, in England colours, especially in my lifetime. 
there's comparisons you can make with Rooney because particularly later in his career, the way that Rooney used to drop back and pick up the ball and distribute it quite a lot. And the way that Rooney mm. at United, when we kind of look at the Ronaldo Tevez era as well, had to be part of a front three and a bit more fluid. Kane can definitely do that and does that at club level and is doing that for England now. But I think he is more goal-minded than Rooney was for a lot of his career, actually. Um, and I think it's a weird criticism of him about this whole, oh, but in the big games, what's he done? Because he didn't square the ball to Sterling against Croatia and he missed the penalty against France. Because I just think England have been in big games because of where Kane has taken them. And any tournament or competitive international game is a big game. And Kane has got such a weird career where he doesn't get the opportunity for huge games very often at Spurs. And when those opportunities have come, quite often it's come when he's been injured, for example. I think he's a model professional. I think he's exactly the sort of person you want in an international camp to bring a side together. I think if you consider the way he links up with Saka, for example, who I'm sure we're going to go on to talk about, that's a fierce club rival. And back in the day for England, that would have been really problematic and they would have struggled to link up. And actually, you see him forming bonds and relationships uh, with, with different England players that have really benefited their progress. So, yeah, it's, it's a wonderful player to have around, a great, deadly finisher. I'm not sure how many international sides can say currently they've got a better number nine than England. I don't know if any can, really. Maybe France, but do you call Mbappe a number nine? It's it's really tight, isn't it? Yeah, I think the way he celebrated the penalty going in against Italy was a great thing to see. Um, It must have been great to witness it in the stadium as well, because it is a moment of history, isn't it? And I do remember... Wayne Rooney scoring his goal and having a similar reaction as well. And Kane said after the game, he remembers that game. Mm. And, you know, Rooney was very sort of optimistic for for Kane's chances of breaking that record. But he's done it within, I think it's eight years or something like that. It's not taking him long at all, um, which is phenomenal, isn't it? But um, another player that England have have really seen grow in the last couple of seasons, especially, is, is Bukayo Saka. And his performances in these two games were fantastic, weren't they? And the class of the goal against Ukraine. Saka's turning into such an elite level player now, isn't he? Is he probably the second most important England player, Miles, do you think, after Kane? Yeah, I think he has to be. If he's not, it's only because we've got such good depth in the wide areas, whereas maybe someone like Declan and Rice might be viewed as more crucial just because we've got no midfielders. But in terms of quality and skill level, yeah, absolutely he is. You, This season feels like such a big one for Saka because he's, well, he's 21 now and... When he first came into the Arsenal side, he hit the ground running so fast. You kind of wonder whether it was kind of youthful exuberance that was carrying him forward and whether it was because he was just this raw, unknown quantity that people didn't really know how to deal with him. Whereas now, the longevity of that skill is there to see. And he's the most crucial player in that Arsenal team and one for England now. It's not a run of form anymore it's this is what that player is capable of and Arsenal fans will have known that for a really long time and it's quite nice for the national side to get to experience that as well how many times in in our our time watching England have we seen players just really not hit the same level for their international team Saka seems like it's it's a smooth transition for him despite the fact that it's a completely different system a really different playing squad He, he just fits in effortlessly and part of that is because he's such a versatile player anyway. We've seen that uh, Saka play probably six positions for Arsenal and England across his career already. And because of that, he just seems to know how to deal with every single scenario possible. And it was really nice at the 
in the Ukraine game in particular, having two players out wide who were really competent at cutting inside with such good fullbacks going forward as well, it just added that extra layer of threat for England where Ukraine just didn't know where to defend. They didn't know if they are going to have to do with Saka and Madison cutting in or the fullbacks overlapping or Kane dropping deep and creating something down the middle. Saka's got to be England's first choice winger now. And it's in an area that they're really stacked with talent. That's an amazing thing for him to have achieved already. Yeah, you were saying how his position was really complementary to the way England played against Ukraine, found loads of space, took his chance, and he scored a few goals like that where he's cut inside, mm. curled it in on his left foot. Mm. And it just seems to be a real strength of his and England's to have that. But James Madison, Dave, was was trialled as well. Um, this is full debut, believe it or not, for England, three years after his first cap, which seems insane, doesn't it? But he's, he's had his chance and he took it really well against Ukraine, didn't he? How did you rate his performance? I think there was times and periods in the game where he was a little bit quiet. I don't think it was all his fault. I think there was moments where he was getting the ball uh, more in certain areas. I think he played a quite a, a solid game in terms of retaining possession, not trying to overexert himself and be too clever about things when he did get the ball. Um I thought he, it was a fairly promising debut, if, if, if I'm honest, which you know it sounds ridiculous to say at 26 years of age and how long we've been speaking about him finally getting this opportunity. And I, th- I think he did really well. I think it's quite an interesting one, really, isn't it? I know there's going to be definitely going to be a debate over between him and Grealish, I think, more so now um, after this appearance. And they're both, the thing is, they're quite different players. Um, Madison, I feel as though coming from Leicester, where he is the main man, and it's a similar situation when Grealish was at Aston Villa. He was relied upon to be the main man and make things happen. Ever since Grealish has gone to Man City, it's almost as if there's been an emphasis on retaining possession. He's probably not being able to affect the game as much as he would like. So I think sometimes he's felt like he's probably caught in two minds about what he wants to do with it. Um but we did mention it, didn't we, before the World Cup? I, I said I would, would have liked to have seen Madison as part of midfield three because we saw glimpses of it in this game. He was It was almost like he, he sat back sort of into an, an extra midfield player. Um, and then we saw, obviously, Chilwell, Chilwell offering that width on the overlap quite a few times. Um, and I thought that was quite an interesting um, thing to look at and something probably Southgate will be will probably be looking at and think it's another... It's another um, Another sort of aspect to to explore, really, um, that he can what he can offer. So, I, th- I think it was a really promising debut for me, and I, I, it'd be interesting to see where he goes from here. Really, I don't know what England's next game is it against North Macedonia. Is it? Not sure to be honest, but he's, that's what I mean. He's it's going a, to feature. It's the perfect games, time to be to obviously be giving these things a try and experimenting. Um, no disrespect to the teams that we're playing, but we've probably arguably had our two most difficult games um, in the beginning of the qualifying campaign. So we'll see what happens. Well, I think you're right. The the link-up with Chilwell showed how good a relationship they've had from their time together at Leicester. And they're good friends off the pitch as well, aren't they? And I think Southgate's got a good habit of doing that, hasn't he? Just finding chemistry within the team that just seems to work. And yeah, I think the way he received the ball, he had his back to goal quite a lot, didn't he? Uh, Madison, he did come in quite deep quite often as an extra midfielder. He turned and played some lovely passes through. Do you, can you see him being in future squads, uh, Miles, do you think now? Because again, on the left side of midfield, there's a lot of talent there for England. Yeah, he played, he did play very well, but I don't think 
it's enough for me to think England need James Madison, if I'm totally honest. Mm. As good as Madison is, it's absolutely no criticism of him to be considered below Rashford in the pecking order, Grealish, Foden, Sterling. There's a lot of players to come back in. Foden obviously had appendicitis and missed this one. Sterling was out. Rashford was out. Madison does offer something different. Is it different enough to justify his place in the squad when we've got so much depth in those wider areas or in that number 10 position? Southgate prefers Mount, for example, to Madison. I just, I, I really like James Madison. I think he's just unfortunate that he's in the generation that he's in. I don't think we'll see a great deal of him in an England shirt. It just seems like it's one of those stories. So well done for taking your chance when you could. I thought he did play quite well. You could see he wanted to kind of put his name in lights every now and again, though. There were a couple of shots there where I thought, okay, yeah. a player that's a bit wiser, a bit more a part of Southgate's system, probably knows the correct decision to make there. But no, he he played really well. It works with him cutting inside, but that's not something that Foden or Grealish couldn't have offered. And really, the only reason he was able to do that was because Chilwell was behind him. If it's Shaw behind him, Shaw probably isn't getting forward as much as Chilwell. And therefore, Madison needs to be the, the one that stays out wide to kind of provide that, that width. So, yeah, I think Southgate prefers Shaw to Chilwell. And I think nothing's changed in terms of him preferring Grealish, Foden or Sterling to Madison in this much. But it was a good game. <laughs> I don't want to sound too like down on him, but I, yeah, I don't think we'll see a great deal of James Madison in England shirt. I guess it depends on his next career move as well, because mm. as Dave said, Jack Grealish's big move to Man City kind of opened the door for him at international level. Yeah. Maybe Madison moving to someone like Newcastle seems like the favourite. Yeah. Um, if they have a good season with him next season, um, who knows? Um, but a prospect that I think. It's very much established now, which is weird to say for a lad who's 19 years old still, is Jude Bellingham. Mm. Dave, just a word on, on Bellingham, really, because, I mean, we've not had a midfielder for England like this for years, have we? It reminds me a bit of the Sven era golden age of, of Lampard, Gerrard and Scholes and that kind of forward thinking, <laughs> driving midfielder. Seriously, there's been no midfielder as, I don't know, attack minded as him, as, as composed, as mature. He's brilliant, isn't he? Oh, outstanding. You know, I'll... There was one moment in this game when he went by about three players, but there was one that they got sort of the last play, and you thought he's, you know, he's not going to go away with a, get away with a ball here, and he just like tapped it through his the opponent's legs and just dribbled on. You thought, you know, what he can do. I don't think. I think you're right. I don't think we've had a midfielder who, can, who really marauds forward um, like him since sort of Gerrard um, for England, and he has got a little bit of everything. He said after the game, he just wants to affect the game. At both ends of the field, though, obviously make defensive contributions and going forward. Um, and obviously, he was mentioning at Dortmund that he feels as though he has a bit more of involvement in the build-up at Dortmund. So we probably don't see him um, probably in the attacking phases as often there. So he's, the thing, I think the thing that stands out for me is just how mature he seems as well. He seems like a leader already in this team, um, which is you know so important to have especially in that obviously in that midfield um area and he's only going to get better and that's something that's it just sounds crazy doesn't it to think at his age as well how good he is already and how good he could become um one thing i want to talk about that though after the game how cringy the the fawning over him from Gerard and that was Joe so Cole. it was just oh it was too much it was way <laughs> too much they were talking about him like he'd been and done everything, won a World Cup for England, won the Euros for England, and really they're just trying to tap him up and get him to Liverpool or Chelsea, yeah. pretty much. 
It was Agent Gerard, wasn't it, really, on, on the case. But um, I don't know where Bellingham will go next if he does leave Dortmund. But for England, at least, Miles, he looks a fixture, doesn't he, for now on? And you were talking about the balance with Declan Rice mm. as well. What is England's midfield going to look like now if Bellingham is now the main man, pretty much? What, what, what three does he play? I don't know about the third, but it's got to be those two consistently. Keeping those two fit when it comes to tournaments is so important because that's a world-class midfield. And the biggest difference between... You, you mentioned about like the Sven generation and the way that the players could come forward. This midfield's so complementary of each other. The way that Rice yeah. and Bellingham suit playing alongside each other is just so amazing. I love watching it. Bellingham's a really funny one of me uh, with me because he. It seems like such a lazy comparison to make because of the connection they have, but the way he moves on the ball really reminds me of what Sancho was like when he first came through. Of that like youthful confidence but an intelligence that almost makes it look like everyone else is moving in slow motion and he, he's just able to figure out a path through. It's almost as if he hits pause, goes, right, this is where I'm going to move now. And he knows exactly where the space is going to open up. It's so intelligent, yeah. but he's more physical than Sancho ever was. And that's why it suits him being in the middle because he's a very attacking centre midfielder, but also really defensively competent, which is a brilliant skill set to have at 19. As awkward as it was hearing him and Gerard just go, oh, I love you, oh, I love you too. Gerard's right. The level that he's at already is beyond anything we've seen of any sort of teenage midfielder for, for England ever, that I can think of at least, maybe before my generation, fine. But as good as Gerard Lampard's goals were in the, in the peak of their career, a 19-year-old lad already being that wise on the pitch and that confident is such a great thing. And I hope that a big move to England doesn't ruin that. At Dortmund, the spotlight is on him to a degree, but the English press kind of are far enough away from him that he can just do his thing and keep developing his game. Look at Sancho, another yeah. an easy comparison to make, which is so excellent at Dortmund. Pressure hits when you're at United, though, and every single week the British press are watching you. And it's hard to handle sometimes. I hope we don't kill off Bellingham's enthusiasm and confidence by the time he comes to Man City or Liverpool. You don't want to see him do a bit like Grealish has, like Dave was saying about Grealish, kind of settling to be a systemic player rather than the free-flowing player. That could happen to Bellingham too. I just really want to see him keep growing into the player he currently is. He's the biggest talent since Rooney for me. The biggest yeah, English talent since Rooney. Just the way yeah, he can yeah. affect, game, affect the game the way he wants to. He can do what he wants you know, with yeah. the ball. He's just got that confidence that it's just so rare to find. And I feel like, Mark, what you were saying about Saka earlier, I feel like that's what's changing with Saka. I'd say a year ago, obviously, he missed the penalty, obviously, the Euros. Um, it, it almost looked like a kind of rabbit in the headlights then. But now his mentality just seems to be changing, mm. where he can just go and he knows he's good enough to go and win a game. And that's what England need. They need a bit of arrogance in their play. It's mad as well to consider, I know we've already mentioned their ages, but with Saka being 21, Bellingham's 19, we just watched the England under-21s demolish France. You have to feel encouraged. And it's interesting because this will probably be Southgate's last tournament this year, Rose. So the next managerial appointment has to be so spot on because you've... Yeah. I hate the phrase golden generation, but you look at what England have got coming up now and you think 
okay, if we don't win the tournament with the squad we've currently got, the next one looks like it could be just as good, if not better, in many, many avenues. Maybe we're a little bit more concerned about the defence than we have been in this generation. But even that, at times, we've kind of criticised. It's just because Southgate's got them playing right. So I'm really excited about the potential that England still have as well. And anyone that's kind of critical of this England setup or critical of Southgate right now, you have to wonder why. All right, you can say they didn't really go for it in the second half. That's not what international football is. It no. You have to be organised. You have to take your wins where you can. And if you've won a game in the first half, it's a good exercise to just kind of see what you can hold on to there and just practice that backs against the wall because that's going to happen to you at times. I thought England looked so mature in this break. They dealt with it so, so well. It was shaky at times against Italy in the second half. But six points already. And like Dave said, it's probably our two hardest games. That along with the Italy game yeah. at Wembley. It's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. I think the Southgate out brigade are still there rumbling in the background. And I think there's a few fans I don't think he'll ever win over. And I think that's just More the nature of international football in some ways. Uh, they'll throw his club record at him, but his international record is is really phenomenal, isn't it? Do you know, and it's two, two important victories to start a qualifying campaign. It's been a good weekend for him. Do you know what's really good, though? That that is such a typical England fan thing of just kind of looking for the the problems and being quite pessimistic. Yeah. And what's bad is that used to really bleed into the press and the squad. And actually, after this game, loads of the players were posting things like, oh, I just love being part of this camp. I love playing football. That positivity has to stay. And if England fans can't appreciate the fact that Southgate has got that togetherness, got that harmony, and is Mm -hmm. getting results, you can say what you want of, oh, yeah, but we should have beaten France. Yeah, because we were the better team. We played really well. It was unfortunate. Oh, we should have beaten Croatia. Oh, it was a penalty shootout. Come on, man. Like, you have to be like absolutely thrilled with where England are at. Think back yeah. to that one game Sam Allardyce had, that boring 1-0 win, and think that was the turning point. Look yeah. at where England have got away. to from then. All Southgate. Absolutely all Southgate and his, and his coaching staff. I think, it's amazing. I'm not Southgate out, but I agree with what you said a few months ago, Miles, before, obviously, when we had that little topsy-turvy run in the in the Nations League and everyone was kind of getting on Southgate's back a little bit. And I do I do believe who would they get in if he did go? That's, that's the thing. There's nobody kind of really queuing up, I don't believe, that would say, I really want the England job. I think they oh. would actually struggle to replace him. Um, but I do think this will be his last tournament. Yeah, will, I, I think, think I think it will be. I don't think... I think he'll probably get to the stage where he thinks I've probably done all I can, but this is something else. This is a job for somebody else now to build upon and take that step further. And you know, yeah. fair play to him. He's done. He's done a very good job. He really deserves a trophy, doesn't he? I really hope they get it for him. It'd be amazing, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think starting a qualifying campaign as impressively as this is it's one of the things that we take for granted now under Southgate. He does it so well, and um, I think. Anyone that Southgate out is 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 deluded because, like you say, the next step after him is quite scary because I can't see any English coaches at their peak at the minute. Graham Potter's probably the closest, and he's having a rough time at Chelsea at the oh, minute. Not he's good. not quite there yet. Will still, we'll also. see. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, um, but yeah, that's international football has been kind to England. I think uh, this week, and Southgate will be here for a little while longer. Thankfully, one one manager that won't be, however, is Antonio Conte himself, and Tottenham have finally parted ways. 
Um, not been the most harmonious relationship, but then Tottenham haven't had a harmonious relationship with the manager for a few years now, have they? Um, it's been a while since his, his epic rant um, post-game after the Southampton draw. He took aim at everybody, didn't he? Left, right and centre. And we've already spoken in depth about the Conte effect at Tottenham. But Miles, my question for you is, where does Tottenham go now this season? I mean, who do they get in? Anyone? Stellini looks like he's going to be there for the rest of the campaign. But then after that, what what kind of manager are they looking to fit their profile? Because it's a bit of a basket case at the minute, isn't it? Does anything prove Conte right more than the fact that Tottenham have waited until now to remove him <laughs> almost, what, nine days of the last game, right towards the end of an international break when they've had all this time to kind of get a contingency in? Now he's gone. Like that that's the most spursy thing you could possibly do and just shows <laughs> that Conte was completely right that the people making the decisions are a bit incompetent. Uh, it's it's a bizarre one for Spurs because there are certain clubs that you kind of wonder what's the point with? And most <laughs> of them are kind of the mid table yeah. clubs. Like if you are a I feel a bit bad picking on them because they're only a place below Villa in the league. But if you're a Crystal Palace fan, what do you go into a season hoping for? You That you don't get relegated. You might have a decent cup run, but you're never going to win one. So you, mm. your kind of ambition is to just finish 12th and just exist. And Spurs seem to be that at a higher level where <laughs> their aim is to finish in the Champions League, but they never... I know they got to a final under Pochettino, but let's be realistic. They were never going to win that that tournament. And they were quite fortuitous to get that far. And now, like last season, it was like, we must rush. We must get to the Champions League. We must get to the Champions League. Then they flop in the Champions League. And then we have this conversation again of, well, let's hope they get top four this season. For what? What's the point in Spurs (laughs) right now? And Conte, Conte, Mourinho, big enough managers to help this Spurs build. And it just feels like they don't really know what they're trying to build to. So their next managerial appointment, I have no clue what it will be. Because let's not forget, it's not that long ago that they approached, I think, nine managers. If you remember when they got Nuno in, they kind of flirt with the idea of Nuno and then change their mind. They asked Kante and he said no. They asked Gattuso at one point, completely randomly. That nearly happened. That didn't happen. Fonseca was mentioned. That didn't happen. They just looked at everyone because they just had no clue what they're going to do and here we are again they've removed another manager and they've got a temporary person in charge which suggests they still don't know what they're going to do they might go for this romantic thing of going back to Pochettino will that work the squad that Pochettino built there are gone the only ones left really are Kane and Son like the defense has completely changed Deli Ali's not there anymore that that would probably fail let's be honest they could bring yeah. in Nagelsmann yeah, a great, promising young coach. Spurs aren't going to give him what he needs. Spurs aren't going to well, that's encourage the, next the group. Step, isn't it? Yeah, but... I think that's the thing they need. They've got these... You said it really well in a previous pod where it's about the coach more than the club. So it's Antonio Conte Spurs, Jose Mourinho mm-hmm. Spurs, and it shouldn't be. And I think if they did go for someone like Nagelsmann, who we'll touch on in a moment, he would be someone you'd have to invest in in the kind of sort of same frame as Graham Potter in some ways. He'd be like a coach who would take you on a journey, an evolution that he's also going through himself because he's quite young, quite unproven. He's had his chance at Bayern, maybe a step too soon for him again. We'll talk about that in a minute. But I think Nagelsmann would be right for me. And I put him in there now. He would have said no already. He would have said no for now. Yeah. Because let's be honest, if it was on, you know, it was being reported that he was open to talk to Spurs, but he, he wants to take obviously a, 
you know, a brief sort of period of, of rest and, and leave away from the game, I think, for a few months. So, and if he, obviously, if Spurs come to him and said, you know, if we, we'll bring you in now, then surely he'd be there already. Yeah, absolutely. Well, who do you have then? Okay, so so the end of the season, Spurs are on the hunt for a new manager. Who do you think they've got lined up and who would you no pick one. then, Dave? No one. <laughs> they haven't got anyone lined up. <laughs> No, pick, probably not. They haven't got anyone lined up. They definitely haven't. This I, I actually think that I, I think they'll be desperate. I, th- I actually think it wouldn't surprise me to see Pochettino go back, but I think it'll be an act of, yeah. act of desperation because they won't know what I to do. Agree. I think he'd probably go back as well, Pochettino, because I think yeah, his would. options are getting more limited as well. The only the only difficulty Spurs are going to have is they'll still think that they should be in this bracket for the next top top manager. Ancelotti might be leaving Madrid at the end of the season. And there aren't a lot of candidates to take the Real Madrid job. So the best that's left isn't going to go to Spurs. Why are you going to go to Spurs for? Yeah, I, I, I think Spurs have absolutely shot themselves in the foot by... They've backed Conte in really weird areas. Like, okay, Conte likes a wing-back, so we'll spend loads and loads of money on wing-backs, but never address the fact that our centre-backs are terrible. We'll... Yeah. we'll bank a load of money on Richarlison despite the fact that we've already got a pretty settled front three and ignore the fact that we've got no creativity in midfield it's such a weird weird recruitment project at Spurs and considering that they yeah, really brought in, bought into getting Paratici in and trying to build a, an investment structure and what have they done? They just they basically, to put it simply they ballsed it up again they had a chance to do something good and win a trophy with Mourinho they ballsed that right up they had yeah. the chance to do something good and win a trophy under Conte. They balls that up and they'll balls up the next appointment because that's what Spurs do. But I, I think the players respond to that because the pattern is the manager's not going to be there long. So the, the players choose when they want to play. And I feel yeah. like that was the case under Conte for the last, well, since December maybe. They I don't him. think they've played for him. They hated him, yeah, because he wasn't the most people-friendly manager. He wasn't Pochettino, that's for sure. And these extremes of characters are really messing with players' heads. But again, I think they know that no manager is going to be there longer than a couple of years at the minute. So they need some stability fast. And Who they go for, I have no idea though, because that's not that's not Pochettino. It's not going to happen t- with him. The top level players at Spurs on paper, Kane and Son. What do you do now? Oh, they've you got must to be go. sick of this now. Absolutely, like fury. Because Kane clearly had a great relationship with Pochettino. He clearly really got on with Mourinho as well. That seemed to really work, actually. Nuno was a flash of the pan, done. Conte, there was a period where it looked like Kane was getting on well, but he must be sick of this. He must just look Mm at a project at Man United and think, yeah, me and Eric Ten Hag, let me just go and be a part of that instead. Or he must think, I wish Guardiola had had, had just gone for me when he could have. Like He's got to be looking at this now and going, can I be bothered? It it must be stressful. Don't understand who yeah. would he's the, for he's the only now. player I can see anyone really rushing to queue up for, though. To be honest, Son. I know he's had a bad season, but you'd go for Son. Son's done enough in his yeah. career to show you he's world class, and he's just having a bad season. I think I agree. I don't know. Weird times for Spurs, though, isn't it? Hundred percent. It's going to be a strange few months for them, isn't yeah. it? Seeing out the season, essentially. Kulazeski, maybe as well. Ben yeah. Tanker will yeah. definitely get. He'll get oh, to the top club. Ben Tanker is great. I, the weird one is there's still talk that Real Madrid, PSG, and Barcelona would be interested in Richarlison if he was available. <laughs> Take the I, money. I, Take I, I don't understand what the footballing world is seeing in Richarlison that we must be missing. Like it's such a weird one for me. I I don't know who Spurs go for next. 
that's that's the long and short of this as a segment. If we're talking about what the Spurs do here, they will probably go for Pochettino in the summer. That he'll come back. It will go quite poorly. They'll be tenth by Christmas, and he'll probably be gone again. And then they'll go. All right, yeah, that was a mistake. Now who's next? And they'll push to get. Thomas Frank in and that will fail and we'll just go in this endless cycle of nothingness with Spurs until they develop a proper backroom staff with strategy and football know-how rather than business know-how stop getting in the NFL and spending all your money on the stadium and improve what you've currently got so that there are potentials for investment later on down the line so it's just it's just a shambles there and it Hmm. kind of serves them right it's kind of funny yeah, it does. Well, moving on from one team that, that just can't can't run themselves at all, the most poorly run team in, the, in in probably the elite clubs in Europe, if you can class them as that. So another team that is actually ruthlessly cold, which is Bayern Munich. They um, they dealt with Julian Nagelsmann showing even a sign of weakness by dropping to second place in the Bundesliga by swiftly swinging the axe while he was on holiday. I think he found out um, through social media, yeah. which is just brutal, isn't it? Nice. Um, I mean, Nagelsmann... He's a young coach still, and I think that was probably part of the problem from what I've heard is that um, you know a lot of the players were a similar age to him. It was more like a big brother than a than a father figure to the team. But tactically, um, also, he had a real reputation for rotating teams to suit the tactical occasion. At Bayern, you can't really do that because they're superstars. He ruffled a lot of feathers. And they've acted swiftly, haven't they? They noticed a slight downturn. They dropped a second in the league to Dortmund, as I say. They're playing them in the coming fortnight, aren't they, I believe? Mm. So, yeah, big, big, big move from Bayern Munich. And Thomas Tuchel's been announced in the same statement as they axed Nagelsmann. Ruthless, Miles. It is. It is very ruthless, particularly for uh, a manager that they clearly had their eye on for a really long time in Nagelsmann. It was always a given that he was going to end up at Bayern at some point. And look at their Champions League run. They just knocked out PSG. They were really successful there and that's the level that Bayern really want to compete at they have kind of been indifferent at times in the Bundesliga this season to be fair okay they've only just slipped a second but that's because Union Berlin and Dortmund have also dropped points pretty freely this season Mm. they probably would expect to be a lot further ahead in the league than they have had the opportunity to be but it still feels like the only reason they've done this is because Tuchel was on the market and it looked like a couple of other clubs might sniff around him sooner. They didn't want to miss their opportunity. It's yeah. it's a funny one because obviously Lewandowski go in the summer and they didn't really replace him with an out-and-out number nine. And then at times, it's kind of looked like they've missed a bit of a focal point in attack. They brought in Jao Cancelo in January and then he hasn't really had the impact that you want him to. He's looked really good when they've played and then he misses a load of games. So Bayern kind of seem like they're in a weird transition this season anyway because moving past Lewandowski, Muller's yeah. getting older, they're having to reconsider what their, their defence looks like with Delic coming in and things like that. It's going to take a while for Bayern to really be Bayern in the way that they always have been but they're still doing great so it should be fine but I don't know, it is it is ruthless and he's he definitely made players better there and he won't yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up back there one day, I'll be totally honest. I think he won't struggle to find the next job. It feels right. a bit like Tuchel. When he left Dortmund, he walked straight into the PSG job. And I feel like Nagelsmann is still considered in that kind of high esteem. So mm. I don't think he'll struggle. Probably not Tottenham, though. I think he'd suit Tottenham, but I think his stock's a bit higher than theirs at the minute. I can't but, see him um, in England yet. Really? No, I don't think he will. I just don't know why he would want to. 
Um, yeah, I, I think so. I think that there's a lot of other leagues in Europe where he would be able to kind of develop more, be given more of a time to kind of progress because he is still young. I mean, how many members of this podcast are older than Julian Nagelsmann? I don't know. <laughs> I know I'm not, but maybe, maybe. I don't know. Um, I just, saying. I feel like if he went to, to England right now, I, I don't think that the, the way that the British game works and the way the British press works is, is going to be very complimentary to him. I think actually he would be better suited like Tuchel to wait for the PSG job because that'll be up in the summer, definitely. Yeah, that's true. I think Bayern have actually given themselves a good chance of, of success now, haven't they, in some ways, Dave? Tuchel going in at this stage of the season when they've got Man City on the horizon in a really crucial game. They're, they're in the um, the cup still. And obviously, they're only a point behind Dortmund, I believe, in the yeah. Bundesliga. Surely they're going to turn that back around. And they're playing them next. So Tuchel really could make a clean sweep here, Dave, couldn't he? He's done that before. Yeah, I think we spoke a few times about how he's had Man City's number on a few occasions as well. Um, yeah. And you look at kind of how he sets his teams up and how he operates. It's probably the worst sort of possible um, opponent for, for Man City to have uh, and you look at the talent that that team does already possess it, it, it's probably the hardest game Man City could have in this in this in this competition so it's going to be an, it's going to be a really intriguing one isn't it I think um, to see what happens in that game and it's yeah it, it does feel a little bit like that doesn't it it did feel like they've been eyeing him up for a while and uh, obviously things haven't really improved massively with obviously Nagelsmann and they've obviously pulled the trigger and it's just crazy isn't it this game how things change so quickly and how the revolving door with managers now seems to be more chaotic than any other time yeah definitely to finish off the pod then guys um, I'll stay on you Dave just to talk about a couple of prospects that have made their name in the last few weeks, but especially in this international break. And uh, the first one is Rasmus Hoyland for Denmark, Dave. The Atalanta striker was only 20. But what have you made of him and, and his goal-scoring exploits over this last week? Yeah, I think before this weekend, he's fairly unheard of. Um, there's been a few things floating about on social media. There was a particular clip, I think, earlier on the season. I think it was against Lazio, where he literally sprinted from the halfway line, literally burned past about three defenders like this showed this ridiculous sort of turn of pace and for his frame it actually seems like almost a bit of a genetic freak and how uh, just like powerfully as as a player and how quick he is for his frame six foot one he's ever so fast he's quite agile for a big guy um he's got scored 17 goals in his career in 36 games so roughly one in two um, and it's it's quite interesting actually. Atalanta paid seventeen million for him from Sturmbrandt, which is yeah, you know, that, when Atalanta you're investing well. that sort of figure mm. in a player, yeah, you, you they've always had an eye for talent, haven't they? Atalanta, I think they've obviously mm. brought in a few players who actually kind of come to prominence in the game, and he's he's quite an interesting player. I think, I, and apparently he's a Man United fan. Just oh, that. here we go. <laughs> he had to get a look. He's, he's he came just... out in the media and said he's a big he's a big Man United fan and um, he said, basically said I can't deny it's, it's my dream basically to play for Man United but yeah as a player it's just actually quite interesting the way he does play um, he's quite raw in some aspects 
Um, his finishing can definitely improve from what I've seen, but he gets himself in the right area. He's so aggressive in that six-yard box and gets in the right areas Absolutely. to make um, to yeah. serve sort of chances for him. If you looked at his goals, he's obviously scored five five goals over two his first two um, international games, which is crazy. Um, just how he attacks the ball in the box is, you know, it's it's re- he's a real traditional. It looks like a real traditional sort of old school number nine in the way he operates. And that's think, really yeah, interesting. There's been comparisons with Erling Haaland, hasn't there? Yeah, and it's really interesting for Denmark to have that player, isn't it? Because they've had this these quality midfielders coming in and out of the side for the last few years, and obviously Casper Schmeichel has been a, a really integral part of their team. But up front, despite having names, they've never really kind of been that world class level. Like Yusuf Poulsen's been there a little while, Braithwaite's been there a little while, Casper Dolberg. We've never seen one of them really rise to the level that Denmark needed to kind of match the rest of their squad. Think about how successful Denmark were, not in the World Cup, but in the Euros. If they'd had a player like this up front, where could they have gone to? It's a good, it's good timing because they, they look like they're struggling. They had a really poor World Cup and they just lost to Kazakhstan. Like, that's a really worrying result if you're Denmark. Yeah, well, another player who's up and coming and who Kylian Mbappe has uh, not name-dropped but been asked about lately is Evan Ferguson. And we spoke about him on the last pod, Dave, but um, scored in, in, his, in his debut for Ireland. And uh, it looks like somebody who could really shape the, the future of the Irish national team, definitely, because they're crying out for a star as well, aren't they? Yeah, it's just crazy. And you look at him, he's, if you just looked at his face, he didn't look at the rest of his physique. He just looked like a boy. He's literally a boy in a man's body. His physique is unreal. And it kind of, it's almost reminiscent of um, of Rooney. Well, obviously, when, when he burst onto the scene with England, he he's, he's just kind of almost like a freak of nature, the way, the way he is and the way he plays. I've seen a lot of comparisons to like a young Alan Shearer um, in that he's got a real level of technique and ability. Um, he can manipulate the ball how he wants to. His his finishing's really good. He's just so powerful as a player. It's re- actually really fascinating to see where he can go. I'm just a bit. I'm a bit sad that he's not English mm. because he could have been Kane's. Um, he could have been yeah. Kane's pro- protege, really, um, yeah. for the coming years. But yeah, I, I see what you mean. His technique's fantastic, isn't it? And we were saying, Miles, on the last pod that. The goals he scored most recently for, for Brighton in the FA Cup are just a real sort of example of what he can bring. I mean, the goal for Ireland was a bit scrappier, but he's quite an all-round striker, isn't he, from what we've seen so far? Yeah, and it'd be interesting to find his level, because obviously this being kind of his breakout season, is this someone that kind of cements himself in the Brighton side and continues to shine for Ireland? Or is it someone that thinks that maybe he's capable of a move to a bigger club in, in the summer and really try and become like almost like a Premier League great? We've seen a lot of the sort of surrounding Great Britain and Irish players that have kind of been the star man for sides like Wales and Scotland over the years. And we haven't really seen one at Ireland properly since Robbie Keane and Roy Keane. So it's quite nice to see someone kind of taking that mantle for Ireland. No offence to Seamus Coleman and Shane Long, but uh, it's nice to kind of have that that player that you can really get behind who's going to get Ireland out of their seats and give them a hope for qualifying because that's it's got to be the aim for them still. Yeah. Yeah, I think a couple of exciting prospects we've touched on there, but I'm going to finish the pod just to pay homage to an old-timer, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, who's made another appearance for Sweden at the age of 41. That's mental, isn't it? The, the way that guy's still going. 
he physically looks incredible though, doesn't he? Ronaldo's really enjoying watching that and thinking he, he's got a few more Liechtenstein fixtures that he could get some goals. <laughs> I've seen him at 41. Well, that's true. Yeah, I mean, Ronaldo's still banging in goals, isn't he? And he's, he's approaching his 200th appearance for Portugal. He scored 13 well, so. goals against Luxembourg in his career. That's mad. <laughs> that's insane. But how many penalties has Harry Kane scored? <laughs> speaking, speaking, eight, yeah, speaking of banging in goals, can I give a quick shout out? Quick. And I know as Leicester boys, you probably don't want to hear this. But it was Women's Football Weekend and Aston Villa women beat Leicester 5-0 and continue to just have an incredible season. They're, they're fifth in the WSL now, which is just phenomenal. They're in the FA Cup semi-final. Two key signings in the summer and then really good investment in January just seem to have made Carla Ward's Villa unbeatable at times. I just They're so good to watch all of a sudden. They've got this brilliant forward line and Kenza Daly, Rachel Daly, Alicia Lehman just look so threatening and they just really want to attack, really intense. And then uh, mm. Maz Pacheco is now the record holder for the most clean sheets with Aston Villa and got an assist in this game. I, I'm really enjoying watching them this season and I think it's nice that on Women's Football Weekend they were at Villa Park, record crowd and really put a show on. It was absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I think a similar shout out to the Man United women's team as well, who are top of the league as we speak. No, I think they deserve a shout out. Got some incredible players. They just need to sort out contracts for Alessia Russo for a start because she's an absolute superstar. Well, they turned down Um, a a world record bid for her in January from Arsenal as well, didn't they? So it'd be important for them to make sure they don't lose that asset when they're trying to build something quite quickly, isn't it? Yeah, it's been five years since they were first formed. So, yeah, biggest, uh, really fast ascent for them, but they need investment and that's for the next ownership to discuss, whoever that might be, Dave. But um, another one to talk about, I actually met with the Leicester City women's defender um, a few weeks ago, actually, uh, Ashley Plumter. She's obviously having a difficult season as <laughs> in the Premier League, They're rooted to the bottom, getting thrashed on the regular. And she said, look, they were in the championship last season and they were absolutely dominating the championship, Leicester City women. The level between that and the WSL is huge. Mm. And you can see that from their progress. They've only got, I think, seven points, I think, since they've been in the Premier League. It's a brutal step up. And I think the investment needs to go beyond the WSL, down the chain, I think, in women's football, if it's going to continue to succeed. But either way, great to see women's football and a, a fair shout out for Villa. They're looking really good this season, mate. Yeah, and do you know what? That's such a telling point because actually Villa aren't long into the WSL either and yeah. it took time to build that. But then bringing in someone like Rachel Daly in the summer who, in England international, scoring goals for England, she's got 13 WSL goals now as well this season. You really see the difference that makes once you really start building something. And now there's a lot of really talented players that will want to be a part of that Aston Villa squad. There's a real harmony that you see within, within that team. And it's just such a nice place for the club as a whole to be that the men's team are starting to really progress under Unai Emery. We've just sent a load of players out on international duty from the men's side that have done really well. We had Emmy Martinez getting that hero's welcome. McGinn's back on a score sheet for Scotland. Jacob Ramsey playing really well for the under-21s. And then Villa's women's team also showing that the club is just in such a solid place. Fifth in the WSL. Not one Villa fan would have expected that at the start of the season and a, a cup semi-final. It's it's so good to watch and yeah, I'm really I'm really enjoying. It. Worth just worth highlighting how competitive the league is at the minute as well. Mm. This, oh, obviously, yeah. you know what I mean. There's a title race coming on. Obviously, that shock was all uh, Man City beating Chelsea as well at the weekend. I don't yeah. think anyone really saw that coming. So but, it's wide open, really. 
Um, lads, great to have us all back. Um, wicked to, to see the three of us on the pod. I'm going to regurgitate the same message that I do every week. Please do hop over to YouTube as you're listening to this uh, and watch us instead. Hit a subscribe if you can. That's the key to us growing as a channel. Really appreciate that if you could do that little gesture for us. Yeah.